going to talk through John 4, 43 to 54, which is where Jesus heals an official's son. The second sign. Um, so let's read through that passage together first. After the two days he left for Galilee, now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his home country, own country even, same thing. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had also been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his, at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that uh, his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed this was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Okay, I'm going to be honest, before I started researching this passage, this was one that I often used to just glaze over and think, yeah, that's the same one that's in Matthew 8. Um, and I'll come back to that, but it's not. And so I've learned quite a lot from researching this, hopefully. Um, I can pass on some of that. Um, but there's two questions I think that we that we need to answer that this um, this passage causes us to to look into. And the first one is, what is the kind of faith that Jesus is after? And the second is, what are the kind of prayers that he wants us to pray? So let's just consider a few things for um, for context first before we. Um, um, before we answer those. The Gospel of John is written a bit like a treasure hunt. So there's clues laid out for us to follow. And in solving them, we learn about who Jesus is. Except John doesn't call these clues, he calls them signs. And at the end of the passage, as we've just read, he writes um, that Jesus performed the second sign. Now, several weeks ago, when we had the first, um, at the first, uh, part of this series, we we had um, the water into wine. That was the first sign, and it says that in the in the passage. But after this, uh, including the one that Shah covered, um, there's no more numbering. So that's it. We've been told there's a first sign, a second sign, and then there are clearly other signs, but we're not told the numbering of them because I think John's leaving it up to it up to us to find the clues for ourselves. It's a bit like have you ever done an escape room before? I've done, I've done quite a few, and I've recommended. And just, just to put your mind at ease, because Mel won't do one with me for the reason that she thinks that you pay to get locked in a room, and then after an hour, if you don't solve the clues, well, that's it. You're basically imprisoned. And you, <laughs> yeah, that doesn't happen. You, you are, the door isn't locked. You can, you can just step out. Yeah, but it's forfeited. So I did one um, a few weeks ago with, um, with my brother-in-law and, and, and Teddy and... Um, 
and my nephew, and it was and it was pirate themed, and so we go in, and and then there's this there's this disembodied hand lying. There's a, there's a wooden. I didn't know it was disembodied until I pull it, and then oh no, it's just a hand. I don't, not a real hand, a rubber hand. It's okay. And uh, and then there was a wooden leg and whatever. But then, and then then there was some text written on the wooden leg. It said curse. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's a clue to something. Um, and I've got to, in order to, to, in inverted, I'm doing this with my fingers, inverted commas, to get out the room, because I could just walk out, but in order to, you know, in the spirit of the game to get out the room, you have to solve a bunch of clues first. We had to look at a treasure map. We had to um, use some coordinates to get a code, and that code was to open a, a combination lock. And, uh, and that would give us a key that allowed us to open it. And there was a whole string of clues. They were sequential, roughly. You didn't have to do them in, in an exact order, but you had to solve so many before you could access the next area. Um, long story short, um, we didn't quite make it. Um, we, we opened the treasure chest, but the guy came in and said, hey, sorry guys, but your time ran out a minute ago. Yeah, so... Um, it was, but I've got a bit of a, I've, we've got a bit of a, a, a pride with ourselves and myself and Paul that we can we can get out of these things. And we believe that that was the first time we did it with the lads, so the younger ones slowed us down. But never mind. Um, well, one of them was scared about the whole pirate thing. I think that the, the disembodied hands didn't help that. Anyway, we're going off on a complete tangent now. Um, the idea is that, that John's gospel is a bit like is a bit like this. It's a bit like um, a treasure hunt. And actually, if we backtrack um, in the book of John to um, chapter one, there's the bit. I, I don't know if you remember. Actually, I've got the scripture up here, so I can show it to you. Um, there's a uh, there's a Jesus is calling his first disciples, and he has a um, a back and forth with Nathaniel. And um, how do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, "I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you." Then Nathaniel declared, "Rabbi, you're the Son of God. You're the King of Israel." Jesus said, "You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that." He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, which is itself a reference to, um, to, uh, to Jacob's staircase or Jacob's ladder that, uh, from, from Genesis. Um, so we're going to revisit this idea um, later, but Jesus is kind of like, I like to see this as a kind of, um, some episodes that you of TV that you watch, particularly the kind of thriller or sci-fi that, that I'm into, um, there'll be, the, the episode just begins and then there's a bit of a setup and then there's like a, there's like something that makes you gasp, <gasps> like what is it? And then there's the, and then there's the intro credits and then it'll, it'll, it'll throw you into it. it. It does it in Doctor Who quite a lot where it's like, there's like there's something lurking in the background and, and oh look again, it's a dustbin shaped, wait, it's a Dalek and it pops out or you just see the plunger come in and then it's, and it's like a, it's like a teaser, isn't it? I think this is what Jesus is doing here is a teaser. Like this is what you're about to see. And this is what he's revealing with the, the signs. But um, let me give you a bit of an illustration of what we mean by um, signs. Um, because, well, you know what signs mean. But um, the point is that at the start of this passage, at the start of chapter 4, which I haven't really touched on yet, um, Jesus uses the phrase, um, a prophet has no honor in his own country. And later he says, um, 
later he says, um, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. So there's a, um, there's a sort of, there's a bit of a, maybe a gray cloud hanging over this. It's like, well, what, is there actually something wrong with the signs? Why, why are we talking about them in this way? So I've got three illustrations, which I think might be too many, but I couldn't decide which one to cut, so you're getting all of them. And, um, and this is kind of what, how we can interpret the signs wrong, uh, or, or just or get the wrong ends of the stick with them, okay? So when I drive to work currently, it depends which route I take, but on one of the routes, there's, there's a road closed. That doesn't actually affect my route, but affects, it has a knock-on effect. And so there's like diversion signs around. But I want you to imagine this. Imagine somebody has um, doctored the sign. So the, the purpose of the diversion sign is to get you on the right route, right? To get you to your end goal. Um, imagine somebody has, if this isn't the sign, this is just an amusing one that I found because it relates to a, a band. You, you might have joy division, but whatever, you know. You can only get so far. Um, and uh, imagine that the people were like, oh, that's cool. I'm going to post that to my social media. Driving to work, stop the car, take a picture of the sign, and carry on. And what have they done? They've created congestion in stopping. So the sign has caused, no, not the sign. It's more people's attitude towards the sign. The sign's done nothing wrong. The sign didn't ask to be graffitied. Um, which is stopping, the congestion is being caused, which actually stops people from, um, from, from, from accessing the place that they're meant to as, as quickly. So there's been some kind of congestion. In fact, the sign might have ended up having the opposite effect. Another illustration is this. Imagine that you're going to see, um, you're going to a convention to see your favorite celebrity. I, I searched for cardboard cutout of celebrity and I got the Pope and I thought, whatever, let's go with that. Um, so uh, just, just bear with me here. So as you're queuing up to, you know, to meet this celebrity, there's like a cardboard cutout of the celebrity, and you're like, cool, I'll get a selfie with this cardboard cutout, and everybody's doing that, but because of them lingering, the queue backs up, and it takes longer to get there, and you know, and the Pope's got a later ap appointment or something, so he has to go, and uh, or whoever the celebrity is, and then you miss him, because you're spending too much time faffing around with the actual sign saying celebrity this way, and it looks like him, than the, the actual thing and the final one is um so this is um this relates to teaching so as you know i teach or you might not but i teach chemistry and um one of the things i like to do is to stir up enthusiasm for my subject and sometimes i do that by setting fire to things um so that that's me from several years ago um yeah i mean the sideburns are like i don't know what was going on there in my life but i can explain that a bit later um no they didn't they did. <laughs> they didn't. It was edit it was edited a bit. Not the fire. The fire really happened. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Um, somebody else edited it, not me. Anyway, it, it is actually safe what I'm doing, relatively. Um, if, if you if you if you do it if you do it right. Yeah. There's a reason I don't do that too much anymore. But anyway, the point is that um, I used to do things like this to get to, to sort of the wow students, like, look, well, chemistry's cool, I can set fire to things. Um, the problem was that they might have got too invested in the signs, the demonstrations themselves, rather than the actual what it's leading to, because my demonstrations were meant to lead them to a love of chemistry. I think what it actually did was more create a generation of pyromaniacs. But, um, but there's evidence in this passage 
uh, that the, um, the people of Galilee were getting the signs um, wrong. So let's go back to the passage. And it says in, um, it says in uh, verse 35 that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Now let's just um, unpack that a bit. The inference here is that the people want to see Jesus because of what he's done in Jerusalem. That's, um, that's a little bit afterwards. No, it's in the same verse. It's in um, verse, verse 45. Um, and verse 46, it says, you know, uh, it mentions the water into wine. So, you know, maybe the people of Galilee, well, they were at the Passover festival. And so they'd seen some things that he'd done and they were quite impressed. And so they're happy to have him back. But are they happy to have him back as the Messiah, the Son of God, or do they want him back just because? The inference is that they just they, they want to see a show. And so that's, I think that's what this is getting at um, here. Uh, it's definitely not an outright rejection because they do welcome him, um, but maybe they don't um, welcome him for the right reason because they're more interested in the signs and the, the sort of the magic show that he has to do um, than the actual, the content. Um, However, there is one man that does um, that does get it right, and um, that man is the royal official. So let's have a look at his situation. So the royal official comes from Capernaum down to Cana, which is not a short journey. It's about 15 to 20 miles, um, and um, a, a, across rugged um, terrain. And he, he brings a petition to Jesus. And he's got, he's got a son who's ill, which is understandable that he wants Jesus to do something about it. He's pretty desperate. And so he brings his petition to Jesus to, to ask for his, his son to be healed. Let's just unpack this character because I think we might not realize that this is not a character that um, the, an, a first century audience would have any sympathy for. And the reason for that is because if he was a royal official, then he's probably part of the, the, the ruling elite. I know I'm only, I, I'm, I'm guessing somewhat here, but commentators have said that, uh, have said the following. He certainly wouldn't have been a neutral character. The region of Galilee at the time was being assimilated into Roman culture by Herod Antipas, one of the Herods. I know there's so many you can't keep track, but anyway, a Herod. Under his reign, small estates of land were being absorbed into larger estates, taking land ownership into the hands of an elite few. There are stories, actually, by the Jewish historian Josephus that state that some Galileans rebelled against this and, um, and in 38 BC drowned some of Herod's supporters in the Sea of Galilee in kind of objection to what was going on. So suffice to say, the tensions were high, and this guy could possibly represent that system, or some elite system, maybe not particularly that one, but he's not someone that you're gonna be rooting for, and they don't really care if his son is, is ill or not. But anyway, um, the royal official comes to, uh, comes to seek out Jesus, because uh, he's heard of Jesus' reputation, presumably, and he tells Jesus that his son is ill, but, he kind of approaches Jesus in a way that the readers may not have expected because, of course, he's a royal official. He's of very high social standing, we imagine. Jesus is a carpenter from Nazareth 
I know he's done some extra stuff in the last in the, over the last period of time, but you know that's that's his background. Nevertheless, the royal official comes to Jesus in humility. Let's have a look at some of the language um, that is used. It says, it says in verse 47, he begged him. He didn't ask him. He didn't, he didn't request him. He didn't summon him, you know, like a, like a teacher might summon a student with a curly finger. Come to me. He said, um, let, me, let me speak with you now. He, he comes to Jesus and he, he begs him to do something about his, um, his son. And he could, have, he could have summoned Jesus, remember. He could have said, come to my estate in, um, in Capernaum and deal with my son. But he doesn't. He makes the journey himself to go and see Jesus, um, which was, you know, a, a, reasonable, a reasonable distance to go across. Not Well, let's just say that um, if you were doing a walk, a hill walk in that region, you'd probably have to do a preliminary one to, 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 sc to scout it out. Um, anyway, he's not flexing his authority. He's, he's begging uh, Jesus. And in his parley with Jesus, Jesus doesn't actually end up going with him. So he doesn't say, I'm going to get you, Jesus, and you're going to come back, and you're going to meet my, and you're going to see my son, and you're going to go to him, and you're going to heal him. That doesn't happen at all. What actually happens is Jesus says to him, he says, go, and your, your son lives. So let's just unpack that a bit, because this is an interesting exchange. Um, and it's meant to, I think John wrote this, to provoke some kind of tension. Because, as I said, the Galileans really wouldn't have been a fan of, of this uh, chap. Well, that's what I imagine anyway. Um, and so um, Jesus says to him, after the petition is made, in verse 48, unless you people see signs and wonders, you'll never believe. So John's building the tension. Because the people might think, oh, right, yeah, he's actually, he's going to say no to this guy because he's probably not deserving of this sign anyway. But as we see, the man actually doesn't need a sign at all in order to believe. And this is where we're starting to touch on that question I asked at the start. Is what kind of faith is Jesus after? It's how the man responds to Jesus' word, which is Jesus says, go. so let me just say this first. Jesus says to him, go, pause. There's a tension spike. What's he done? Has Jesus just sent this man away? Is he going to not grant his request? But then he says, no, your son lives. And what does the man do? Oh, he goes. He does, what Jesus, he does what Jesus says. And at this point, he has no visual evidence that any healing has actually occurred. He doesn't know that his son's well. He's just got Jesus' word to go on. But he goes anyway. He could have said, Jesus, no, <laughs> hold on, Jesus. I'm not taking that. You're going to come back with me and you're going to stand over my son and I'm going to wait until I see him healed and then you can go on your, on your merry way. But he doesn't um, do that. He takes Jesus' word and he, he acts on it because Jesus' word for him is enough. And I think that's the kind of faith that Jesus is after. It's genuine because he's believing just the word that um, that Jesus has said. He hasn't seen a miracle at this point. He hasn't seen a sign. He's just got Jesus' word to go on, and he believes it. 
He saw a miracle in the end, though. When he goes back to his son, he hears from uh, that his... Um, actually, he's, he's, people come out to meet him, don't, don't they? Um, and finds out that his, his boy was healed at the exact time that Jesus spoke. Um, so he did see a miracle. But after he had um, believed, after he had heard the word that Jesus said, and he, he acted um, on it. Just look at the cause and effect here. The man, the official, hears and he goes. He does something on it. He hears the word of Jesus and he acts upon it. He hears the, the creative word that Jesus has given, the, the healing word, and he goes back to his son. And this kind of harks back to the first chapter of John where he says, um, where it, it, you know, it's that bit, that introductory um, section about um, Jesus. The word became flesh. Uh, and and all that and it says through him all things were made without him nothing was made that had been made in this way the word that Jesus has spoken has itself become flesh it's be it's a creative word and something tangible has come as a result of it and the result is healing for his son his, his body has been restored he was at the brink of death it says and he's been um, restored it's like suddenly the realities of heaven are not just some nebulous, far-off, wispy thing, but they've become real. They've become flesh, like the Word made flesh. We've already talked about how the official's on his way home and he meets his servants and they, they give him the, um, the good news. That Word has become flesh. Um, that one believes the strength of Jesus' words on their own merit rather than having a sign first, is actually a theme throughout John's gospel, which reaches a climax, if you keep reading, in Jesus' gentle rebuke to Thomas in chapter 20, verse 29. And he says to Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that royal official is blessed because he believed without seeing. At this point, I don't want us to rev up the let's all criticize Thomas bandwagon because we can do that quite easily. Oh, Thomas, you needed to see Jesus' hands and his feet before you believed, and I don't, so I'm better than Thomas. No, that's not what I'm getting at here. Actually, I think that so this is something we can take comfort in. Um, certainly, I can as well. Um, and I think, um, we'll look at it this way. It seems that we actually can be blessed either way. We can be blessed like Thomas, who sees and then believes. But actually, we can be blessed if we're like the, the official who hears and then believes and then later sees. Either way around, these two guys maybe represent two extremes or two different categories. But either way, they're both, um, they're both blessed. Um, So, why is there an emphasis on believing the word, the word that Jesus has spoken? Well, that's because there is evidence throughout Scripture that when one doesn't believe the words that Jesus or that God has spoken, um, failure often follows. Think of Genesis 3, when um, Adam and Eve are told not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, uh, because they will surely die. They put, him to, they put God to the test. And we know what happens after that. Another example is Numbers 14, when the people are, uh, have been through the desert, come out of Egypt, the people of Israel, and they're going 
uh, they scout out the promised land. And what do the scouts see? They say the people there are like giants. And so the people of Israel say, well, no, we can't possibly take the land. Even though God has said you can take the land, they say, no, we can't do it. And they end up not taking the land, that generation. They go into wandering for 40 years. And when they try to do it in their own strength, they are actually defeated. Um, 1 Samuel 15, the Lord rejects Saul, rejects Saul, King Saul, from being king because he doesn't believe that the command of God is right. He fails to kill all of God's enemies and take some of the spoil for himself. He doesn't trust that God's plan and his word are going to work out for the best. So he modifies the plan to suit himself. John 18 when Peter denies Jesus, because maybe he thinks that if he says that he knows Jesus, he'll be arrested like Jesus. And the reason why I share that last one is actually because of all of the, uh, those stories, um, this is the one with probably the most immediate restoration because Jesus does, in fact, restore Peter. And then Peter obviously goes on to do amazing things for the kingdom of God. So despite his failings, um, Peter is restored. And that gives us hope that even when we don't exercise this kind of faith I've been talking about, um, that there is a second chance for us. I mentioned earlier about the exchange between Jesus and Nathaniel, where he said, I'll read it again, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about signs that show the reality of heaven is breaking into um, earth. These signs that we see show us that Jesus is actually acting as a conduit from which heaven and earth begin to meet. Actually, Jesus' presence on the earth is itself an example of um, heaven coming to earth. The word became flesh after all. But each sign that Jesus performs is another example of um, heaven just breaking through a crack in reality um, to, um, to earth, if I can put it in that colorful language. Um, and the prayer of the royal, royal official in this instance, we could say, made this thing happen. Because he is praying, he's coming to Jesus and he's begging him, he's petitioning, Jesus, heal my son. So what are the kind of prayers that Jesus wants us to have? Well, the simple answer is big ones, big prayers. This man came to Jesus and said, heal my son. And he didn't need Jesus to go with him to see it happen. It was a big prayer, and it made heaven come to earth, the healing power of heaven come into the life of his son, who didn't die. Well, not then anyway, but, you know, he, he didn't die of his illness. This man had the courage, this royal official had the courage to pray for his son to be healed and to take Jesus at his word. The result was his son was healed, and then, as we read, his whole household believed. That's an awesome outcome. There wasn't just healing in his house, there was salvation in his house as well. And honestly, I'm a bit humbled by that because, no, significantly humbled actually, because I think about the times where I've said a prayer and I might have diluted it down. It's like, well, yeah, God, I want this person to be healed. Um, you know, sometime next week, not right, <laughs> you know, I mean, not, not immediately, I, but, and why do I do that? Because maybe I'm trying to make it more manageable or more possible, but I forget that actually nothing is too great for Jesus. This doesn't just apply to healing. I'm sure there's lots of different examples that we can give. But um, I suppose then that my prayer now is that I would have the courage to pray big prayers 
Or if I can't even manage that, then I would pray that I would have the courage to pray, that I would have the courage to pray big prayers. I know that sounds a bit daft, but we need to start somewhere, don't we? And it's true sometimes we don't always see our prayers answered in the way that we think or at the timing that we want. I don't think that should stop us praying, though. So, we've talked about signs quite a lot. And I want to see signs. And I want, I then want to, you know, act on Jesus' word, even if I don't see something immediately. I want to see signs that lead me to know Jesus better, more importantly, because that's why he gave them. That's what the clues are for in John, so that we can know him better through reading them. And I want to have the faith that doesn't need to see signs to, to then move on to the, to the next step. I think that's the kind of faith that Jesus wants us to have. I'm not saying that signs aren't important in our, in our, you know, in our uh, current life. But I am saying that he wants us to then, as a result of knowing him better through reading this, to have the faith to pray big prayers. Big prayers so that we can see his words that he speaks become flesh, become reality and his kingdom to be established on the earth. Amen.